The Word of God this morning is from Exodus 2. Our theme this morning is growing young. It's a story about a man named Moses. And as we read, you're going to, I think, hear some themes we've already sung and read about this morning. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely... The thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled, there's that wandered off theme again, from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them. And watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner, a wanderer, in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue... There it is, remember? Jesus alone can rescue. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The word of the Lord. God, thank you that you see and know. Thank you, God, that you see us uh, in our current situation. You see the joy and the celebrations, the victories this week. You see the hurt, the pain, the stress uh, for others. God, you see the culture we're living in that we face day by day. And God, you know, you know what we need. And this morning, Lord, we need your word and your spirit to come with power. And I pray, Lord, that you will uh, speak through your servant, Andrew, Lord, it will be with clarity and power, and God, that we will receive the word with open ears and open hearts and never be the same. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I'll add that as well. Um, education, it's in, the, 
It's in the air. I know I see some college students back from college. I, I know that uh, others, like our, some of our Kelvin students, are finishing up uh, this week, thinking about education. Some of you are moving on in, in life. Uh, younger people, you can probably tell me how many days you have left of school. Uh, we're counting down the days till summer. But the truth is, it's not only young people that are undergoing education, we are all undergoing education of some sort or another, no matter how old or young you are. We get a sense of that in, in this chapter here. Uh, this is the education of Moses. Uh, Moses, it said, is, is growing up. Um, and uh, God is, is teaching him a number of different ways through both uh, success and failure, uh, what it means to follow him, what it means to serve him, what it means to serve him by, by leading a people, which is where we're going in the next couple of chapters. So there's a lot here. I, I, I want to dive into this and, and begin to understand it just with that theme. Uh, what is it that God wants us to learn about ourselves uh, as we look at Moses and sort of his development, the things that he struggles with, the things that he uh, excels in? And, and what does God ultimately want us to learn about him? Uh, how is it that we can trust him more? He asks us to, to believe, to follow after him you know, what is it that he is asking us to believe? So let's just start with ourselves. What do we learn about ourselves? So this is a, a chapter or a section of, of chapter that covers a lot of years. Uh, the book of Exodus and the Pentateuch in, in general is an interesting sort of location and time flow to it. Uh, it starts at the end of a 430-year period. Uh, then we have events, you know, culminating right around Moses' birth, uh, and we saw that last week. So now we are going from the period of the time where Moses was born until he's 40 years old. We're picking it up there. And by the time we end, Moses is going to leave Egypt, go into Midian, where he is going to be 80 years old uh, when he ultimately leaves Midian. So there's a, a big, you know, 80-year chunk of time here that we're walking through. The rest, you know, the, the rest of the Pentateuch kind of goes like this from, from that point until all the way you get to Numbers 18 is, is a very short amount of time. Uh, with the, the ten plagues and uh, getting through the desert to the, the borders of the promised land. And then from Numbers 18 to the end of Deuteronomy is another 40 years of wandering, and, and then they enter into uh, the promised land. So it's an interesting sort of geographic look and, and time look over Genesis. And the reason I, I, I say that to you is we, we need to remember that not all of this stuff happens instantaneously. Uh, and some of it, you know, in Moses' case, I'll come back to this a little bit later, you know, happens at, at significant points in his life. When he's 40, he's a, he's a really young man at that point, you know. And then when he's 80, he's like middle age, right? Uh, and, and he's still learning the things that, that God 
has him to learn. And we see it through his experiences as well. Moses, I can relate to Moses just with our family. You know, we have several adopted children, and Moses is an adopted young man. Uh, he's growing up uh, in different cultures and different backgrounds. You really get a sense of that here. He grows up in the, in the palace of Egypt, uh, but he identifies with the Hebrews. And yet later on, when he gets to the well in Midian, he's identified as an Egyptian. Uh, Moses is probably thinking like, who am I? You know, where do I belong? What, what sort of, you know, how do I fit in? And I know some of you can relate to that as well in your own life. Uh, maybe you are adopted. Uh, maybe you're just uh, culturally different. You don't fit in West Michigan or you don't fit in different places. Uh, could be ethnic, uh, although culture is usually even more important than our ethnicity, how we were raised, what we believe about the world, all of those different things. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting about Moses's journey in education through that is it's made him really sensitive. And this is some of the really good stuff that we see about Moses. Uh, notice how Moses, uh, though he is in this place of power and influence, uh, though he's been educated, though he has everything at his disposal, when he goes out, he really identifies with the oppressed. He really identifies with the Hebrew slaves uh, who are being beaten down at this particular point. You know, God uses those experiences of maybe displacement, where do I fit, where do I belong, uh, to create the kind of heart that he can see and identify. We read this passage, you know, in verse 11 where it says, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. That, that word looked there is not the normal Hebrew word for looked, uh, but it's yara, it's this empathetic word. He looked and had compassion uh, on the oppressed, on the uh, Hebrew that was being beat by the Egyptian. And we see this later on in Moses' life too. When he comes to the well, interesting places, wells in the lives of patriarchs. Some of you remember Jacob uh, when he came to the well and threw off the stone cover and met his wife. And uh, apparently that was a place to pick up chicks in the day. You know, you went to the well uh, and that's where you found your uh, your bride to be, but but Moses here at this particular story, um, when he's at the well, he he sees this this group of ne'er do well shepherds who you know give difficulty to the daughters of Ruel, or we'll come to know him later on in the story as Jethro, and, and Moses steps up and he defends these folks. Now, again, understand, this is all very different for an Egyptian prince. An Egyptian prince uh, was taught that the Hebrews were slaves and to think about them as slaves and, and to, you know, to, it was okay to be down on them. An Egyptian prince would never serve, would never become a shepherd, would never do any of these things. But God was at work 
in Moses, and he was forming him, and he gave him a sensitivity. He gave him a sensitivity to not see himself as privileged, uh, but to have a heart that extended itself in compassion to those who are oppressed. And I think we need to recognize that this is part of what God's image in us looks like. You know, and this is a thing that, no matter what your background is, is something for us to be grasped onto. It's something for us to hold onto. Because this is exactly the kind of action that God will take later on, you know, when He sees and He hears and He remembers His covenant and He knows. He has an, a heart for the oppressed. I mean, we know this, you know, our New Testament. Uh, what does it mean to, to know the Lord? It's to, it, it's to have mercy on the orphans and the widows, those who are oppressed, to act in defense of them. So one of the things that we ask ourselves is, you know, have, are we learning this like, like Moses is? Are we developing that side of our brain? Because certainly, we see that all around. I mean, you, you know the statistics. Poverty in Grand Rapids are, are similar uh, to, to they, what they are all around the country. You know, you don't see it on uh, the promos for West Michigan. Uh, 30% poverty rate. You know, that, that kind of stuff doesn't show up, but just drive downtown. You know, drive to different places. And it's, it's not only the economic that are the oppressed and the disillusioned. How do we begin to think about that? How do we begin to enter into that? God is teaching Moses, and Moses uh, identifies with that. In fact, this is one of the things that, uh, you know, the writer to Hebrews mentions in chapter 11 when Moses is in the hall of faith. You know, the writer to Hebrews says, uh, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater than all of the, the treasures of Egypt. You know, his willingness to identify with the people of God, to identify with those who were enslaved and oppressed, uh, is one of the things that stands out to Moses's credit. So that's the good. When, when we look at uh, Moses, when we look at ourselves, we see this image, we see, you know, the many ways in which we can emulate the heart of God uh, as we love those around us who, who need uh, that kind of love. But here comes the bad when it comes to ourselves, and, and we certainly recognize that, that we, uh, we struggle to follow God even when we have the right heart, we oftentimes don't go about it in the right way or in the right time. And we get a sense of that here in this passage, don't we? So Moses goes out, he yaraz, he looks on their burdens, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And then verse 12, he looks this way and that, and seeing no one, he strikes down the Egyptian and he hides him in the sand. Now, there's been a little bit of debate in scholarly, academic, biblical circles on whether this was a, an ethically right thing for Moses to do. You know, was he acting on God's behalf at this point? He, 
he perhaps thinks that he is. Um, but I think there are some things textually here that lead us to say, Moses probably should have known better. I mean, you just have that looking this way and that, uh, you know, left and right. And, and mostly it's horizontal. If you read my, my Friday letter, uh, you know, there, there's not a sense of looking vertically here, you know. It doesn't say, and, and Moses sought the Lord to see what he should do. Uh, no, he's, he's covering his tracks. You know, he's checking to see which way the wind blows. And he doesn't see anybody, so he goes ahead and he murders uh, this uh, Egyptian. And then he buries him in the sand again. It's not something that we do often when we're real proud of what we've done, right? Uh, he hides the body in the sand. And then later on, of course, the thing is known as he goes out very soon after that. He sees two Hebrews fighting. They say, are you going to do to me as he seeks to intervene in that? Are you going to do to me what you did to that Egyptian? And he's like, uh, I got to get out of here. This thing is known. And so that's when he makes the beeline into Midian. But note, you know, perhaps the right thing. I mean, God clearly is raising Moses up to challenge the Egyptians, to lead God's people uh, out of the land of Egypt. But clearly, the wrong time and the wrong way. Uh, Moses here relies on his own strength. We, we saw that when we studied Jacob, right? Jacob used his own strength. Jacob was a powerful man. He could throw that stone off. But it wasn't until Jacob gets it, and he sought to wrestle with God in his own strength. But it wasn't until he, he got his hip touched and he had to lean on the cane all the rest of his life that he was renamed to Israel. And that's what makes it into the hall of faith for Jacob, the fact that he, he leaned on his cane. Uh, this is what we call a, a longitudinal theme throughout Scripture, uh, where we try to do things in our own might and our own strength, and we realize that that's not God's way. God works in, in completely different ways, and, and He has got things that He needs Moses to learn, but Moses steps forward in His own strength, in His own might in his own time. And whenever we do that, um, and this is sadly a, a lesson that I've learned over and over in, in ministry, uh, leadership with my home, um, you know, the, just whenever we try to do things in our own strength and in our own time, people get hurt. You know, the bodies pile up, uh, sadly. Uh, and, and we recognize that it's not God's way for leadership. We, we need to look up, you know, not just to the left and to the right, but we need to seek His face uh, and to seek His way and His time. I think probably many of you can relate to Moses in this, whatever you're going through right now. You know, there are so many times when we get tired of waiting for God. If you read Acts 7, when Stephen is recounting the history of Israel, there's a sense there as he comes to Moses that Moses 
had a growing sense that God had placed him there. So again, I mean, think about it. I mean, here's Moses. He's been given all the gifts, all the opportunities. He was educated, you know, at the highest level. He was in a position of power. You would think, yes, this is it. God wants to use all of the strength that Moses has in order to effect this rescue. Uh, and, and so he begins to move in that direction and affect this plan, but God says no, uh, and not yet, and not in this way. We'll come to that in just a minute. But, you know, there are so many ways when we think that, I'm tired of waiting on God, you know. I think about that, uh, you know, sometimes in our dating relationships, you know, as, as young men or young women, we, we really want to pursue uh, a dating really We want to be married. We want to, uh, and, and so, you know, God says that if you marry outside of the faith, outside of those who believe in Lord Jesus Christ, belong to Him, you know, it's going to be problems. But we wait, you know, or we, we get tired of waiting, and, and so we move ahead in, in ways that aren't wise, and, and it does create problems. It, it, does, it, it does move us off. Uh, we think about it in business, you know, the ways in which we, we want things to move along. Um, but it's just not happening, and so we begin to do it in our own ways. We, we imply, uh, employ our intellect, and, and we cut corners, and, and we do different things. And of course, you know, not only is that not glorifying to God, but it, it causes all sorts of problems. And you can probably multiply examples of ways in which we're, we're not willing to wait on the Lord's plan, but we move forward in our own strength and in our own way and in our own time. And the bodies pile up. So, is that the end of the story? Of course not. Uh, and, and here's what's great about this story. Because we, we learn so much about God. You know, for Moses and the Israelites, as we're going to see, despite all of our cracks, all of our brokenness, all of the ways in which we stutter and stop, uh, we can't get outside of God's plan or outside of His goodness to us. So I want to dive in and say, what, what is it that we learn about God here? And, uh, you know, if we were the good and the bad, God is the better and the best, right? Uh, and so let's, let's start with the better. You know, Moses had a plan. He thought he was going to deliver the people and the strength, strategic placement, all of those different things. But God had a better plan. He knew what kind of leader... Uh, the Israelites were going to need, and he had a plan to shape him. He had a, a plan to shape him by leading him into the wilderness for 40 years, uh, by connecting him with this family of Midianites, uh, by allowing him to take a wife and, and have a, a, some children and become a father. Uh, this was God's plan for what the Israelites would need in the coming years as they had uh, need of a leader. Just consider three different things. I mean, consider his living situation in the wilderness. Uh, quoting here from Philip Ryken, the wilderness is a place for a man to meet his God. 
practically here, he learned uh, that the wilderness for later use when he led the people of God in the wilderness, in the wilderness, he learned what it was to be an outcast. It was through his wilderness experience that he learned to identify even more fully with the people of God, his family situation. He became a husband and a father in Midian. As a husband, he learned how to love and serve his wife. As a father, he learned how to care for and discipline his children. By settling into the life of the home, Moses learned how to be a servant leader. Uh, His work situation, Moses worked as a shepherd, uh, which again was a very humbling, it it was very bad in Egyptian society if you were an elite to, to have any type of callus or anything on your hand. Uh, so you would, you would never be a shepherd. Remember when the Israelites originally came, Moses, w- uh, or I'm sorry, Joseph, uh, said that you know, the people were shepherds. They didn't want to have anything to do with them, so they put them in Goshen. Uh, Israel, or Egyptians had nothing to do with shepherds. So for, for Moses, who was raised with that sort of background, this was a very humbling place. The, the work was detestable. But by tending his flock, Moses learned how to feed, defend, and rescue the lost sheep of Israel. He learned the heart of God as our shepherd. All of those things, you know, from ages 40 to 80, all of those things Moses had to learn in God's school. God had a plan that was better than Moses' plan. If Moses had, had left at 40 and you know, led the people out in his strength, he, he wouldn't have been tenderized. He wouldn't have been ready. He wouldn't have had this kind of equipment that he needed to have to lead God's people. Does that give you some confidence in God? You know, sometimes we think like, Holy cow, I mean, this, this was a real loss. I mean, Moses was in such a strategic place. He had such opportunity, but now he's an outcast. He's on the run. But God's got him exactly where he wants him. And he's teaching him exactly the things that he needs him to learn. And this is what we have to remember. God has got you exactly where he wants you. Uh, You haven't sort of spun out of control in your life and you're suddenly uh, on plan B uh, or C or D. Uh, This is God's plan A for your life. And He is working it precisely for a purpose. And one of the things I love about this story is that Moses' primary purpose in life, when you think about Moses and, and what it was that he accomplished in life, it's his leading out of the people of Israel. Uh, And it doesn't happen for Moses until he's 80 years old. You know, he's two-thirds of the way through his life. He dies at 120. In a very real way, it, it, it looks to us, maybe if you were to put it in our time frame, like retirement age. Uh, you know, it, it's your sort of two-thirds of your way through life. And that, Moses isn't done by any chance or any stretch of the imagination, Moses is just getting started with his life work. Have you ever thought about that? It should be so encouraging to us, uh, you know, especially for those of us that are entering into that last third of our life. Like, God has got really, really, really important things for you, uh, important things outside of the home. Prayer is always important. 
Uh, but there are so many important things for us all the way along in our life. And God is wanting us to touch in uh, and to be open to that and to be willing to be led, even though, as we'll see in a little bit, Moses is reluctant uh, once he is called to lead God's people. Ran across a great story today, I'm sh- or this week, I'm sure some of you have seen it. Uh, it touches on Christ Church a little bit. Uh, Michael O'Callaghan. Uh, was named the CMDA uh, Missionary of the, wor- uh, of the Year, Christ- uh, Christian Mich- Medical Dental Association. Uh, some of you know Dan and Kristen. Uh, this is Dan's father. Uh, and he is a dentist for 33 years at a family practice. Uh, went with Dan, actually, on a mission trip to, to Haiti. Uh, later in life, had his eyes opened. Uh, to missions, uh, and, and after his, uh, he doesn't call it retirement, he calls it his redirection. Uh, he has been serving very actively all over the world, Haiti and Nicaragua and uh, Cambodia, Myanmar, all sorts of places that I can't even remember. Uh, there's a sense, again, I love that, not retirement, but redirection. You know, what is it that God is doing in your life? How is he working his plan? And are we sensitive to that and open to it? Not done, you know, wherever we are, uh, but continuing to serve him throughout all of our life's situations. But, save the best for last. Here's the best. Now, you really need to look at uh, the last couple of verses here of this text. And we have to read them really carefully here. So starting in verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. So there's political change, right? Uh, And I think the the Israelites were probably hopeful uh, that there would be less oppression uh, at this point. Uh, There was a sense in which, you know, maybe... Things will return to like it was before, and we'll have our wealth, we'll have all of these different things that they enjoyed in Egypt. But that apparently didn't happen. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. It's easy to misread this passage. What it's saying is that the Israelites cried out for help. And the, and the word there is, is, you know, they cried out in pain. You know, they're groaning. I mean, clearly they are suffering in a bad situation. What the text does not explicitly say is that they cried to God. We oftentimes read that into it. Now, God hears their cry, right? God hears their cry. Uh, but it, it's a mixed bag at best with the Israelites. We know there are some. There's, you know, uh, the Pual and Sifra, and there's Jochebed, the, the midwives, uh, Joseph's mother, or Joseph, Moses' mother. Uh, there are these folks who, who have an understanding of Yahweh. But the testimony of this people who are in Egypt is not all that great. You remember, this first generation, none of them make it into the promised land because of their unbelief. 
and we're told in places like uh, Joshua 24, and uh, here are these verses that I'm going to read to you from e- Ezekiel chapter 20, where, where God says of the people in Egypt, uh, He said, I swore to bring them out. I searched out for them a land flowing with milk and honey. And I said to that people in Egypt, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me, and they were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But then verse 9, I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey. To really understand the heart of God, we need to understand that He responds to His people despite their own failures, their own idolatries, and despite the fact that we oftentimes just are crying out in our pain, not even directing our cry, our prayer to the Lord. And I say this is really good news because the reality is we are all like these Israelites in Egypt. Yes, they are enslaved. Yes, they are oppressed. But as we'll see later on, they love it. You know, they're like, I wish we were back in Egypt. There we had food and we had cell phones and we had all of these different things. And they don't realize even the fact that they are enslaved, or they realize it in a mixed way. You know, they talk about that Stockholm Syndrome where you uh, are kidnapped and enslaved, but you fall in love with your kidnapper. And, and this is the state that we live in. I mean, we, we live these very mixed at best lives, you know, which we pray for God to deliver us, but then we don't want to give up all of the stuff that has us enslaved. I mean, Lisa was just telling me this week that Madonna has come out uh, saying how bad cell phones are for kids. And, and I just had to think about that a minute, you know. We were got the material girl uh, telling us how bad all of this stuff is, but we love it. And we want more, and we want the latest technology, and we want all of our shows, and we want all of the stuff that is keeping us enslaved. And, and yet we say, God... Will you deliver us? Will you make our lives okay? We're so much like the Israelites in Egypt, mixed at best, oftentimes flat-out rebellious against God, but crying in pain. But this is why this is the best news, is because God's love for you and God's determination to rescue you doesn't depend on your faithfulness or your obedience or your, you know, theological expertise, the fact that you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. God does it for the sake of His own great name. God does it because of the love that is in Him. 
Jesus went to the cross and took on his own lips the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that when we cry in our pain, God would enter it and heal us from the inside out and establish us as his people. So what is God asking you to do this day, or maybe I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, what is God asking you to believe? How is He inviting you to belong uh, to His great kingdom and His great love? It's growing young. It's not growing old. You know, when we grow old, uh, we, we think that we have the wisdom, we think we have the strength. It's when we grow young. It's when we become more and more dependent. We become more and more childlike that Jesus says, if you have that kind of faith, you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's disabusing ourselves of all of our, of our gifts and all of our uh, righteousness in order to find uh, grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's coming to Him desperate. It's coming to Him messy. It's throwing ourselves on Him even in our pain and saying, will you rescue me? Will you take me out because all of my efforts of self-salvation have crashed and I absolutely am dependent upon your grace. There was a television show back in the 70s. I remember it as being good. I did a little research on it. I only found it uh, ran for four years and, and the last couple of years weren't all that good. But it was uh, Robin Williams, Mork and Mindy. I know I'm dating myself. I, I checked it with some. I checked it with Addison today. He'd never heard of it. I was like, "Holy cow!" Am I? <laughs> that was really, really disheartening. <laughs> but in it, uh, the Robin Williams character, and, I, and incidentally, I was not allowed to watch this television show. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, there was a guy living in the house with a young woman. So shouts to my parents for monitoring my, vi my viewing. Uh, good for them. But I still managed to watch it. <laughs> uh, friend's house, I'm sure. Here's, here's why it sticks out. Mork is, is from Ork. Uh, and, and on Ork, uh, they age backwards. So the elder of uh, Orson, who he reported into, was this little child-looking character who had wisdom. You know, when Mork and Mindy had a baby, uh, it was Jonathan Winters who was this old guy who then aged backwards as, as he grew. And, and I think that is what God is inviting us to do today. Will you age backwards? Will you become more and more childlike uh, as you grasp onto this one who's willing to meet you in all of your mess and rescue you and leave you out of the, the slavery that maybe you recognize but don't recognize and to lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey because that is what Jesus came to do. He came to effect that rescue. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this word that, that meets us and teaches us uh, in such profound ways. 
what it means to trust and to rest on you. Pray that you would continue to help us understand ourselves, you know, even as we sing this next song, uh, Psalm 139, search us and know us, try us, see if there's any offensive way in us, and please, Lord, like little children, lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus, amen.